Welcome to the Navit Gaming Podcast, where it is our mission to explore the business and future of video games. We bring together the industry's brightest builders, investors, and thinkers to keep a pulse on current events, dissect emerging trends and games, share lessons learned, and have a great time. This podcast is also part of Novik's growing ecosystem, which ranges from free and premium research to consulting and advisory services. For more information, visit www.novik.co. This episode is brought to you by our partners at GameSite. GameSite provides full-service campaign management, taking charge of consulting, influencer discovery, relationship management, billing, and reporting, leaving you free to focus on your core business. With their measurement platform and creator-focused programs, GameSite helps brands grow, increase revenue, and ensure player satisfaction worldwide. And since the company draws from almost a decade of battle-tested experience, including with notable customers like Bungie, Capcom, Ubisoft, and hundreds more, GameSite's attribution platform meets the unique needs of PC, console, and Web3 games. Notably, GameSite brings display, social, influencer, and affiliate marketing into one dashboard for easy comparison. Marketing attribution for PC and console games is complicated, but whether your game is free to play, premium, or supported by DLCs, GameSite has you covered. To learn more about how GameSite has served other games teams and how it can help yours, simply visit gamesite.io or check out the link in the show notes. And with that, let's jump into the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Navic Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Nico Vori. We have a great episode for you today, and it's going to be a really fun one. Our topic is digital pets on the blockchain. Real living pets have a pesky fundamental problem. They have a limited lifespan, and they have a tendency to die at some point. And for anyone who has children that have experienced the loss of a pet, there are a few things more heartbreaking than seeing them grieve over a loved one. But digital pets aren't immortal either. I bet some of our listeners of a certain age had a Tamagotchi back in the late 90s and early 2000s and religiously took care of it until that one day you forgot and it died. Or worse, you lost the little egg itself and you had to go buy a new one. Well, what if your pets could actually live forever, at least in the digital realm? With blockchain technology, that is now possible. And our guest today is on a mission to do just that. She wants to give digital pets immortality. Our guest is Susan Cummings. She is the founder and CEO of Tiny Rebel Games. And Tiny Rebel are a really experienced team of developers with backgrounds at Rockstar Games from back in the day, early 2K games, which they built from the ground up. And they have even worked with one of my absolutely favorite quirky British IPs, Wallace and Gromit. Tiny Rebel's aim is to design an open standard for Web3 digital companions that can be with you wherever you want to take them. Any blockchain, any art style, unlimited dimensions. In short, they are building the Petaverse. And so to tell us all about the world of the Petaverse, I'm excited to bring on the show, Susan Cummings. Susan, welcome to the pod. Thank you, Nico. You've definitely done your homework. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> okay. Well, with that uh, intro out of the way, let's get right into it. And we always like to start with our guest backgrounds, especially ones uh, who have an incredible background like yours. So why don't you tell us more about who you are and where you come from? Sure. So I've been in video games for half my life now, about 25, 26 years. I go back to the earliest days of, of Take-Two Interactive when I made some introductions that led to the actual the founding of Rockstar Games. I was involved in the first Grand Theft Auto. Whilst there, my, my husband was on the Rockstar Games team. 
and was one of the producers on Grand Theft Auto. This would have been Vice City, I'm sorry, San Andreas and GTA 4 right around the time we left. And I started 2K Games and 2K Sports with other executives at Take-Two. So I was had the good fortune to sign things like Bioshock and Borderlands and buy the Civilization IP and the Fraxis Studio. We had a couple hundred million dollars to expand what Take-Two was you know, and, and is today. So that was a very exciting period for us. Lee and I started Tiny Rebel Games about 15 years ago, right after our son was born early in New York. After about six months of being home parents and taking time off, we decided to start a company and we looked down at our screaming child and came up with the name Tiny Rebel, which is also a beer company. <laughs> My family also started the Tiny Rebel Brewery, which is a sister company of ours. It's also based in, uh, in Wales like us. So Tiny Rebel has done a number of things over the years since we set it up. We did a game called Doctor Who Legacy, which was one of the sort of most loved Doctor Who games that people wish would come back that we, we shut down. But about 3 million people played that. That was an early free-to-play puzzle battle game in the style of Puzzle and Dragons. And following that, we did a game called Doctor Who Infinity as a follow-on to it. And then, like you mentioned, we did the Wallace and Gromit project, which was a wonderful time. We finished that work a couple of years ago. We'd won a, a major government grant. In the UK, they give you money to do creative things, which is wild as, a, as an American coming over here. Uh, we won a multi-million pound grant that we led, um, bid for, and got to play with Ardman and a couple of other um, development studios to build AR experiences um, on the iPhone and Android. And that led to Wallace and Gromit, the big fix-up, and Wallace and Gromit fix up the city, which I think is some of the coolest AR that's ever come out on mobile phones. It was pure R&D. We had no marketing money. Most people have never played it, but uh, it was a wonderful experience and is really where our knowledge of, of AR comes from. And so since that, we've been considered leaders in the space. We work closely with Qualcomm on Snapdragon Spaces. We've worked with Meta on their AR strategy. We've been close with Apple, who love the work that we've done in LiDAR, and, and led to, to Petaverse, which we started developing a few years ago. All right. Well, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there and a lot of amazing experiences, amazing IP that you've worked with. I'm just with. old. Uh, well, well, yeah. We, we both, I guess. Yeah, I love that the UK gives government grants to do cool things. I'm from Finland originally, and Finland has a very similar approach. Every single gaming company founder or entertainment company founder in Finland will say, like, the government, Dekes, is this group, they, they fund uh, projects. And it's a real shame that the US doesn't do that. I, know. I feel like there would be a lot more amazing innovation in entertainment and, and gaming and creative things if, if that was there. It's so, true. A it's a nice thing about being a, a big fish in a small pond. I've always lived in, yeah. in, in areas of technology where no one needed you. I was in San Francisco, I was in LA, I was in New York. and But now in like Wales, I have direct contact with the Welsh government and ministers and I'm able to influence creative policy and things like that. And, and that's really exciting. And I'm gratified by that ability to do that. And yeah, by the UK government taking creative industry seriously, I think is really, really important. Yeah, 100%. And if you look at Supercell in Finland, I just use my own experience oh, yeah. from the Finnish gaming industry. They're proud to stay in Finland, not relocate to low tax regions. And they're proud. They proudly say every year, we are happy to pay the billions they pay in Finnish taxes because mm -hmm. they have the Finnish government and the, the system there to, to thank. So anyway, let's not make this into a, pol a political show. <laughs> this is a gaming, <laughs> gaming, gaming podcast. Uh, let's not talk about government policy around entertainment, though. It would be nice to, to see more support there. So let's talk about the metaverse and the pediverse in particular. So we've, we've all heard a lot about metaverses in recent years, and there are many competing visions for what the metaverse or metaverses are going to be. Metaversi, maybe, plural. And I even learned while I was researching this episode that there is a, a Tamaverse. 
believe it or not, which is the metaverse for Tamagotchis. And the Tamagotchis still are apparently very much around. So tell me, what is the petaverse that you are building and how does it differ from all these other metaverse that are out there? It's a great question. I mean, I, I see what we're building as being the, the next logical progression of the digital pet. Tamagotchi is the kind of grandfather of all of this, right? 85 million people played Tamagotchis, at least. I'm sure it's well and above that, but the number I found was 85 million. And it was a very simple game back in the day, super rudimentary in terms of art style. And everyone as a child had this, I think. But the, the pets die, as, as, as you pointed out earlier. And it was a, it was a very solo experience that you had on your own. And it was confined to that piece of hardware. And then the next generation would be Nintendogs. And it's interestingly, these inflection points happen every decade or so. So Nintendogs came out about a decade after the first Tamagotchis. And in this case, it was a prettier, more robust gaming experience, but it was still confined to one game. You can only play with Nintendogs in, in the Nintendogs game. And when Nintendo moves on from that game or from that hardware, your pet's trapped. And again, it was still a very solo experience. There was no multiplayer, you know, Nintendogs back then. And then about 10 years later, Roblox showed with Adopt Me and Pet Simulator X that digital pets are indeed evergreen, made it a multiplayer experience. That's all largely based around trading systems, right? Interesting to Web3 is that if you look at what kids are doing on Roblox, they're trading based on scarcity, mm -hmm. which is really interesting in and of itself. So the next generation of the digital pet is about untethering that pet, is about the idea that your pet should be able to go where you want it to go. You should, you know, have the keys, have the control over your digital pet. Every time one of these digital pets shut down, there's petitions uh, to bring it back. This is something you've you've vested time and 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 emotionally bonded with, and now it's not yours, and you ultimately realize it's not yours. And so that's really important, and that's why so much of the foundation of this project was about the idea of an heirloom, an artifact, something that could be passed down generationally. As, a, as, as something that, that's yours. That's a big part of, of what the Petaverse is. Now, the other, the other thing is that, especially when you think about cats, which is where we started, pets have lives of their own, right? And the point of these digital pet games is very much you're taking care of them. They're yours. They're like an appendage of yours. They're beholden to you. We've built this a little bit differently because we don't think of pets as being something you own. We think of them as something that's a part of your life that you share your life with. And so our pets have, have a simulation of autonomy. And so we built technology on top of machine learning that allows your pet to make decisions for themselves. Hmm. And so if you come back days later, you're going to find out what your pet's been up to in real time, what their diary entry basically says they've been doing. And their stats change based on what they're doing. And so that's the other big evolution here is, is, is giving these, these pets a feeling of, of sentience. It's obviously fake sentience, but in this, this feeling of sentience. Yeah, I, I love the idea of having a, a personality of their own. I was looking into this. In fact, the, the game that I'm working on, Blockstars, we have a very similar concept. Part of the reason I wanted to talk to you is because this, this concept resonated with me, which is the idea that Blockstars are musicians on the blockchain. They all have individual personalities. Every single one of them is unique. Again, that's what blockchain enables in, in many ways, unique digital assets and ownership. And we modeled all of our musicians' personalities on the Myers-Briggs model and then broke that down further into like subcategories. And so there's like tens of thousands of different kinds of personalities that they can have. So I love the idea that these pets 
are unique. They're their own thing. They're not something you own. They're not something that's attached to the side of you and you like, they only exist as you exist. They exist for themselves. And so how does that make interacting with digital pets different? The fact that these pets have a personality. I mean, all the Tamagotchis are essentially the same, right? Like you just, you looked after it, you did the thing. And then if you forgot to do it, it died, right? Very simple, but very powerful, right? Because it's something Mm -hmm. that you are looking after and it needs you or it dies. And I think that's part of the reason why it resonated with so many people. We love the idea of being able to emotionally bond with things. It's interesting. The physical pet industry mm. is a $200 billion industry. And my theory here is that it's one of the only things that the whole world can agree on. It doesn't matter your, your politics, your gender, your geography, anything. We all have dogs and cats and other types of pets. Mm. And I think that's really fascinating. And I think that that's why digital pets are so evergreen. And, you know, in particular, because I think it helps us to connect to technology. We understand pets. And where it hasn't worked, it's often been because it's been about a made-up creature. We understand dogs and cats. I think that that's really mm. important. And the other thing is, going back to what you were saying, is that those pets were combined to one game. You can only play with Tamagotchis in a Tam- on a Tamagotchi hardware in a Tamagotchi game. You can only play with Nintendogs in the Nintendogs game. You can only play with My Talking Tom in the My Talking Tom game. This brings up interoperability. And what we built at Petaverse is, a, is fundamentally a tech stack. It's a pet system. We call it our pet stack. And the idea is that we spent the last several years refining this, building the model, the blend shapes, the rig, the animations and AI systems, and the ability to bring them into different types of Unity experiences where you can reuse those assets. And so we have a whole bunch of different ways you can use your pet. It's not about one game. There's a game that we're alpha testing right now, but you can also bring them onto your video calls. I probably should have brought this onto this, this stream today. You can bring them onto your Twitch stream. You can bring them onto your YouTube stream. Your, your followers, your subscribers can play with your pet on stream. You can bring them into VR. You can bring them onto choose your own adventure stories in text. And, but it's all the same pet. And that, I think, is a first of its kind. And that means in the future, when we open source access to that tech, Anybody who's building a game that wants to add a pet system can simply take ours. And it's another way of taking care of your pet. We're going to talk about all the different technology pieces that, that, that you're working with. Blockchain, obviously, is one of the things that you highlight in your white paper. What is it about blockchain technology that you think is really critical here? What does that enable that you don't think could be done otherwise in creating these unique digital pets that have a, have a life of their own and hopefully live for years and years and years to come? It's the years and years to come. Look, I blockchain has always been about something very specific to me. Blockchain at its core is a database. It's not about the NFT nonsense. It's not about floor price and selling and minting out and all this nonsense that has become the one and only use case of blockchain in games. And it's funny, when I uh, set out to raise money for what we were doing a couple of years ago before we closed our seat round, I had a fund tell me that they thought I'd come up with the first non-tradable token. Why would anyone want to sell their pets? They didn't think there was an addressable market there. And that really bothered me because I don't think that that's what blockchain's usage is about. I, I don't think it's about buying something purely to sell it and flipping it. The problem is, as game developers, we want to build community. And 10,000 people is not a big enough community for anybody in the game industry to take it seriously. And when you sell it, you're just passing that membership to someone else, which, if anything, is just a burden because now we have to educate a new user about the community. And so it has to be something bigger than that. And so for me, as a purist, the blockchain usage is simply that provenance. Who do you trust your data with? If you're going to throw all your love and time into a pet, you're going to trust me? Do we trust Twitter with our data? Do we trust Facebook with our data? It should be yours. 
And so that really is purely the only use case within Petaverse is, is that simplicity. And it's really over the course of the last year, made me think or re- rethink our relationship with the blockchain. Initially, we said, we're going to sell scarce NFTs on, on Ethereum and, and give you things to do. I think we were one of the first projects to actually launch with utility, which is really exciting. But what we found is a space that's like kind of destroying itself. And, but because of a bunch of bad, there's a bunch of great players. A lot of us are trying to do really good things. And there's the bad players who have sort of trapped us into these norms of, of minting out and floor price and OpenSea and all this stuff. And what we realized was everything that we believe and want to do can happen upfront or it can happen later. And so we've really softened our approach to it. Whereas once upon a time, we said, buy an NFT, come do stuff. Now it's like, you know what? If you don't want to hear about blockchain, I'm not going to say a word about it. This has nothing to do with it. You adopt a digital pet. Anybody can do it. Any child can do it. And later is when we'll reintroduce it. So right now there's there's no blockchain required. And I don't think there ever will be. I think it's a sort of thing that if you understand the value, if you've emotionally bonded with something, you're going to want the control of that to be yours. And you see it every time a digital pet project shuts down and people are outraged. We want to be able to step in and say, you know what? It does suck. (laughs) So here's your chance to mint it. Um, And so I think that this could be a project that helps to educate. And I think that that's really important. I think that you can lead people to water or you can drown them in it. And I think that Web3 Gaming is trying to drown people in something that they really don't want right now. And I think that that's okay. I don't think that that negates the the purity and great things about blockchain. I think it just means that we have to soften our approach and educate. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Um, preaching to the choir there. Uh, I <laughs> totally, totally hear you. Now, you don't want people to necessarily even think about blockchain. And I completely agree with that, that notion. Yeah. Um, but at some point, as you say, they make the emotional connection to their pet. They're like, okay, I want this pet to live forever. I'm going to mint it, right? On some blockchain. And at that Mm -hmm. point, you do have to know something about blockchain. um, And you also have to deal with the problems that minting on a blockchain, you have to choose a blockchain at that point, presumably. Mm -hmm. That comes with all the problems of interoperability, which you've already alluded to. So let's jump to that right now, because uh, just a couple of weeks, I think last episode or a couple of weeks ago, we had Game 7 on this podcast here, and they did this comprehensive state of Web3 report uh, where they took a 30,000-foot view, and I recommend all of our listeners go go and check it out. And they highlighted a stat that absolutely blew my mind. And they had cataloged at least 200 different blockchains and more coming all the time. And a lot of them are focused on gaming and digital asset ownership. And, and so that can't scale, obviously. Not all of those blockchains will survive. In fact, most of them will be gone in 12, 24, 36 months. And so how do you ensure that if one of your pet owners mints on one of these blockchains that is doomed to to die itself, the pet would die at the same time? How do you make sure that that pet lives on forever and can go from blockchain to blockchain really easily without it being a huge burden um, on the user having to, to do it? It's a great question. So our white paper talks about something that we call cloning, uh, because we we faced this very question back when we um, started the project, and we were trying to decide what blockchain to mint on. And we, as game developers, know that there are lots of options in terms of engines, in terms of blockchains, and we needed to be uh, to have be, be a step removed from that. The other problem with blockchain is that 
they're they're largely immutable. That's you know, the kind of point. You don't have to worry about someone changing your stuff. But that doesn't really work for game development. If you have an RPG character, you want to level up your character. You want to collect stuff. That's where a lot of the value comes from in an RPG MMO character is, is the stuff that you've collected and how you level up. So we knew we needed that too. So what we said, and it's funny enough, back when I thought this was potentially a negative, was that we would store that data, a blueprint of your pet in a Web2 sense on Firebase. That's the source of truth, right? That's readable in with human eyes at Blueprints. Think of it like the Loot NFT project. It's a, a fat, tabby cat with blue eyes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and all this information in a text file. And that's Web 2. And that's where all of our pets start life now, by the way, right? Is these new pets, they're all Web 2. The Web 3 part comes in where we say, we're going to mint it on the blockchain, and that's where it points to. And so now you don't have to worry about that Firebase data going away because we could mint it on the blockchain. But what we also realized was there was nothing stopping us from making a copy of that on Solana, on Polygon, on, you know, wherever you wanted to use it. It's not the real NFT. It's a non-tradable copy of your NFT that points to the same place. But it means you can simultaneously use it across blockchains. Because as we talk about in the white paper, there are too many blockchains right now. There are, are going to be new ones as well. 20 years from now, if I want my grandkids to be able to use this pet, I need to accommodate for a new blockchain. And so that's where cloning comes in, is the idea that you there, there's a source of truth with an NFT that points to it, and then we can use it across other chains as well. That also means that the art style can change. So, and you see that in our, in our project right now, we don't always use the same art style for your pet. The app has one art style. The Mimatron, our AR app, has a completely different art style. So what that means is in the future, as fidelity moves on, like if you try to like boot up Nintendogs right now, it looks like it was made 20 years ago. And that makes it hard to really get back into things for some people. We can upgrade the art style. Same data, same information, just a prettier, higher fidelity art style. So yeah, that was always what this was about. And then and this year, the epiphany moment was, you know what, it doesn't have to happen first. That that minting part could happen at any point. No, it makes it makes total sense. I completely understand that. I, I do want to play kind of devil's advocate or you know, sure. poke at this a little bit because when you have a real life pet, that is a real life pet. And yes, I guess you can in theory clone your pet, right? Uh, you can clone mm-hmm. dogs and cats. And there are famous people who who do that. They have the one pet that they keep for generations because they just keep cloning it from when they die, like they clone the next one. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I'm not, I, the real life analogy does exist, but it's a little more strained, I think, in the real think world. Think of it as a passport. I, th- I think the problem with cloning is we're not talking about a copy that goes off and has its own set of memories and experiences. It's the same pet. It's a passport to use it on other blockchains. It's, it's mm-hmm. one pet. If, if you have a hat, you can use that hat anywhere that pet has been cloned to. If they level up, that experience is a shared source of truth across all blockchains. So think of it more like that. They give it more like a hologram of your pet as opposed to a clone of your pet. Perhaps that might Yeah, happen. no, no, I, I do understand the, the concept. I, I'm just, I'm going to poke at it a little bit more here though, because mm. I do think the idea of having a digital pet or digital companion is that they are unique. And if you can mm-hmm. clone... I understand what you're saying from a technical perspective, but from a user perspective, you are still cloning it. And if you're upgrading the art style, which again, I understand the need for doing that 20 years down the line, mm-hmm. it feels a little like it feels like it would be the different pet. So I just no, want to look at that a little bit more. And, sure. Yeah. The copies aren't tradable. And if you sell your pet, they go away with them. So they, they really aren't. They're not, mm-hmm. they, they aren't their own pet. They can't be 
pass to somebody else. You can't say someone else has the Solana version of your cat and you have the Ethereum version of it. It's really literally the permission to use your pet in other places. And it's the same pet. And it's because of the blockchain that it's on. So it's akin to, here's a good example. If you had a video game on, on the PlayStation and you ported it onto the Xbox and onto Nintendo systems, and imagine if all three consoles could agree to a shared save file. So it didn't matter whether you were on Sony or Xbox or Nintendo, you're still playing the same game. That's that's what this is. That's not going to happen because that's centralized, Sony and Microsoft and Nintendo. Mm-hmm. But in a decentralized world, we can. We can actually let you take your stuff with you wherever you want to go, regardless of what blockchain it is. But it's still the same path. Okay. It's, it's the same personality. It, will, it might look different, right? But that, that no, Looking different doesn't matter on the blockchain. That could be anywhere. So, you know, mm-hmm. right now, I could bring my pet into two different games and I could see them in two completely different art styles. That's all. It's on, a, it's on a different pad. It's just a lens that you're looking through. Think of the Take On Me video back in the day from AHA. It's really just a different uh, filter. It's a filter, if you will. Because, and there's a really important reason for this, not all games have the same art style. So because we made this as technology that we wanted to open source, the, the, the tech stack itself, we knew that not every game would be comfortable with the same art style. Some games are anime, some games are tech, some games are 2D, some games are 3D, et cetera, et cetera. That doesn't matter. So someone could take our API and they could create an anime game and they could interpret our pets in an anime art style. That's super important, that ability to take it there. Otherwise, you're only going to be limited to very generic games that are happy with one art style for everything, which just doesn't fit. Yeah, yeah. No, I understand. Okay, well, uh, shifting gears a little bit. So the thing that yeah. really, really got me interested and excited is this idea that you could play or you could kind of pass on the same pet. You, literally, your pet could outlast the, the human, right? As, a, as opposed to vice yeah. versa, which is typically mm-hmm. what happens. And the idea that you'd have generations of the same family playing the same pet. And I'm going to actually quote something from your white paper, which is the kind of, for me, the money quote, if you will, or at least the most intriguing quote. Here it is. And so how transformative would it be for grandchildren to be able to play with the same family pet their grandparents used to play with when they were children? How meaningful would it be to have a pet that retains its memories of its time with each owner and whose thoughts and personality form one continuous, unbroken chain. And that's a that, that's a kind of a thought exercise that I don't think many of us have ever gone on, but it really intrigued me. And I want to hear a little bit more from you. Unpack this. What does it mean to be able to pass on a pet that actually has its own personality, forms memories of its time with its previous owners, and then passes those on to the future generations? Really fascinating thought exercise. That's why AR and, and to a lesser extent VR will always be so important to us as a company. We we imagine a future where your physical pet sadly passes away, as we've discussed, they always do. And you could have an insurance policy that someone arrives at your door that day with your AR glasses and your pet ready to go. It becomes a bit black mirror in a very achievable sense. And this isn't far future. This is something if the AR glasses would catch up, they're not quite there yet. We'll see how it goes with Apple and the Vision Pro. That future is possible right now. So imagine this digital pet that, as I'm talking to you, has a personality and has certain food that it likes because that's the food that I've been training it to, to like and I've always put down for it. It knows where I put the food because I always put the food in the same place so it learns that it's there. In the other room, that same pet is off playing with my kid because he's you know playful and understands how to pass around the house and it becomes essentially a real pet. But in the future, yeah, my kids, my grandkids, et cetera, they have that same pet. And imagine if they want to change the food that that pet eats and they could retrain them to enjoy something else. I think it's really compelling. I think that in many ways, I don't think it'll replace the physical pet, 
But on the other hand, there are so many people who can't have physical pets. There are people who are, are elderly or allergies or small children who aren't ready, who need to be trained on, in how to take care of a pet and, and understand what that responsibility is. Um, and so I think that the digital pet will become a viable alternative to a physical pet as these glasses reach ubiquity. Yeah, and it's companionship, right? You actually use the term digital yeah. companion quite a lot, almost yes. interchangeably with digital pet. And I think that's where this kicks in, which is it's not just a pet to to play with and keep you company or to, to like amuse you, so to speak. But it is actually yeah. truly about companionship, whether you, you're lonely or what. If, if something has a memory, if something has a lived experience, whether it be digital through software code, that is really a lot more interesting than just something that is a, an amuse-bouche, if you will, just like just a plaything that doesn't really have a, a personality. So I want to pick at this personality piece and the idea that the, a digital companion, let's call it a companion for now, will have a learned memory. How would that manifest itself from generation to generation, from father to son to grandson? How, how does that actually work in, in the real world? How does it manifest itself? So we have this these AI systems that we've put in place that form a diary, if you will, of your pet. So you go into the app and you see what they've been up to. That information gets saved into the metadata. Right now, five days of that gets saved into it. But long-term, that's something that can be ongoing, that data of what your pet's been up to, to the point that 10 years from now, you can look back to see what the you know the chronicles of, of your pet's life. But all that information can get added to the metadata, which can also be updated. So it can include their behavioral characteristics, their personality characteristics, how those characteristics have changed as they've leveled up the currency that they've collected from participating in games with you, the accessories that they've collected are in the metadata. So all of this is listed out as, as data. And so once again, going back to being able to change the art style, that means in the future, in a game 20 years from now, on a different blockchain, in a different art style, those accessories are still relevant. They can still wear the same hat that it had 25 years ago in some other game. How does the, the behavior of the pet change in relation to the human. That, that's what I'm trying to get at here. It's it's not yeah. so much to the technical side of things. I understand the technical side of things. That, yeah. And that's that's very clean. And I, I totally get how that works. But what, what does it do differently? What does the pet do differently as it relates to this, these changing characteristics that are being stored over years and years and years and years? So right now in the core game, your pet gains experience. What we're going to be introducing next year are choices that you can make based on those experiences that can mm. affect their characteristics. The AI systems, in my mind, are that if a pet is agile, for example, it should be able to get onto a surface that a less agile pet shouldn't be able to. And you can have trainers that would allow a pet to get more and more agile. Mm. So today it doesn't exist yet, but it's just, it's absolutely something that's achievable and and not difficult to create. It's just a matter of which way do we stretch first with this project. But that's always yeah, been the idea, is it? Yeah, because you, you could go in a lot of different directions here. Like you could have, yes. it has it has a memory and it actually doesn't like you. Like some, you know, yes. if you've been mean to it, it, it might be that it, it's, it doesn't doesn't like you, right? And it, and, it, and it shuns you and it goes away. Or So absolutely. that's obviously an extreme, extreme example. There's the, the physical characteristics like agility. That That's an easy enough thing to understand from any yes. old RPG, right? It's like, okay, fine. I yes. can get to that cave now that I couldn't get to before because I'm now yes. trained up to be more agile. That's that's simple enough. But I think it's more the yeah. emotional side of things, the mental side of things, and the behavioral side of things that is really fascinating. And that's really what dragged me into this particular area and really wanted to have you on the show is because the idea of interacting with 20 years of it's it's like you know going on a think about it from a human perspective you go on a date right for the first time you don't know anything about that person and if it 
works out, you're attracted, great, there's a spark. But then 20 years on, you're married, you've been living together, right? And there are other things that are, are interesting <laughs> to you that weren't necessarily the thing that actually attracted to you in the first place. And so it's mm. like the relationship has matured and evolved over time uh, in a way that I think is difficult to do <laughs> through AI, but I think mm. it's, it's, it's doable. And that's really where, I, where I'm probing here, Susan. I, I love the idea that if my, my grandkid doesn't pay as much attention to the cat as it's used to, from its, right. its the parent or, or so forth, that that should have impact. And that's honestly the point of the open source nature of what we want to do with our, our pet system is I want people to be able to build trainers. I want people to be able to push different directions with this and have it update the metadata. I think that's why open source is so important. There's, there's what we can do as one team and there's what the community can do long term with what we've built. Yeah, because if it takes off, I mean, the idea of, of a community outsourced brain almost, digital mm. companion brain that evolves to have many more synapses than you can, you as an individual developer can actually ever accomplish is utterly fascinating and definitely very, very intriguing. Okay. Not to mention the digital cloning. I like the idea of being able to capture what your pet looks like so that it's actually your pet, not just any pet. Right. Capturing the audio of the pet so that it sounds like your pet. So I think that they're one of the places we want to push in the future to make that future of your pet dies possible is being able to let you recreate your exact pet as opposed mm. to one that you create in our editor. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I'm going to switch gears here, and I'm going to talk about another tech that I know is extremely important to you and very near and dear to your heart, and that's AR, augmented reality. You definitely come across as an evangelist uh, for AR. I know, and you alluded to this already, uh, you're partnered with Qualcomm on their Snapdragon Spaces initiative to accelerate an AR future. Uh, so talk to us about what is AR to you? What does it mean? How important is it uh, for this project? And Actually, why don't you tell us about what, what is Snapdragon Spaces? Because I think that's clearly a starting place for, for you. Yeah, so Qualcomm have, it's, it's really, they're, they're, they're a really interesting company. They create technology that ha ends up helping to evangelize things like virtual reality and augmented reality. So they've created a chipset to be used in AR glasses. And so it's not, it's not theirs. It's a, it's a generic platform that then others like Lenovo um, have used to create glasses. And so they came to us uh, on the back of our work on Wallace and Gromit, wanting us to, to, to play with their new toys. And we're going to be doing a demo next year that's going to show off what that means, what Petaverse feels like when it's actually on AR glasses as opposed to your phone. The problem with AR right now is most of it's phone-based. And no matter how many different ways we all try to convince the mass market that AR is so magical, you should be willing to hold your phone like this. It's exhausting. And Niantic keeps pounding up against that wall about this. Mm -hmm. Until we have glasses, AR isn't going to work. But what's really cool is, is Meta with a Quest 3 has launched, launched Mixed Reality, which is going to help Apple announce their incredibly expensive glasses, which obviously won't be a mass market. But it's a big step in that direction. And I think it's going to inspire other people to continue to push the technology forward and bring the cost down. What I love about AR is it's us looking up and around us at the world again. The problem with mobile phones is we're like this, looking down at our phones. VR completely shuts us off from the world. But AR is a layer on the world around us. And I think that's really magical. And so that's what gets me excited about it, is the fact that it doesn't take us out of the real world, which I don't think we need taking out of the real world right now. I think we need to all be a part of the real world and, and improving it. So I'm a big, big AR fan. 
Yeah, uh, as an I, I've never been, ask anybody, uh, VR, I've never really, I, I, it's going to be a niche use case and it might make some people some money. The idea of locking yourself away, putting this big thing on your head, no matter how comfortable you make it, and no matter how non-nausea inducing you can make it, that's the problem there is that you are being taken away from the world and not able to interact with, with what's around you. But AR allows you to be part of the world and see things differently, but still recognizably, right? And I think that's what the interesting yes. thing here is. And so in in relation to digital pets, digital companions, how do you see that working? So give me a use case. I come into the Petiverse, I put on my AR glasses. What do I see? What do I do? How do I interact with this pet? What is my relationship with it in the real world as augmented by AR? Your relationship with your pet in your AR glasses is as close as we can possibly get to real physical pet ownership. It's your pet behaving the way a real pet would. So while I'm sitting here, my digital pet could come to me to paw at me to remind me that it's time for them to be fed. They could expect to be fed during certain times of day. They can play with other members of the household. They can, it, that, that's as close as it gets. And that's what's so exciting about it. And I think that AR is really where we start to understand virtual companionship because they're, they're fitting there inherently into our world. And I think that that's what's really magic. That's as close as we get to realism. So I'm going to probe a little bit more on this, this AR and yes. the, the behavior that you see from, from the pet. Is it a case of just looking around and the pet's doing its own thing? It's got a mind of its own. It's wandering around and it jumps onto the, the table or it runs out of the door and you're observing this, right? Or is it a more hands-on experience where you're not just observing, you're actually, you're, you're guiding, you're making it do things, so to speak. You're doing the inputs and then the pet is, is responding? Or is it a bit of both? I think it's a bit of both. I think within the home setting, I imagine it's a bit more, I don't want to say ambient, because you're going to have haptics, you're going to be able to pet the cat. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what that companionship, again, brings to people who can't have a physical pet. But in the outside world, because remember, part of what it's going to take to get to ubiquity with AR glasses is being able to leave your house with them and have them on. And so I imagine a bunch of ways that these digital pets become a part of our life. We're all used to Google Maps and using the arrows to get to a restaurant. Imagine if your pet can naturally walk you to the restaurant. Imagine if you're going running and your digital pet knows how fast you should be able to run and can, can spur you on or you can, can use it as a ghosting mechanism to, to know how fast you should be running. So I think there are lots of interesting ways they can take part in our world. Part of the origination of this um, project was the notion of historic materials. If you read Philip Pullman's book, the idea that we all have this virtual pet that's an extension of us. And so I imagine that my cat can play with your dog and someone else's dragon. And, and that just becomes a part of our lives as we're walking around. That just becomes something and expected is that you have this, this digital companion. Uh, so where are you at at the moment with experimenting with this, with this stuff? I, I know that you're working on a lot of different things. And obviously, it's a very ambitious <laughs> vision that you have here. What is the current status of the Petaverse? What, is the current, what can you currently do uh, with these pets? So we just started alpha testing our core game, which is, think of this as the hub of the experience. You you come in, you can read the diary and find out what your pet's up to. You can play mini games to take care of them. This is this is our Nintendogs game. You can collect accessories. We're going to be expanding the number of rooms that you can accessorize. Think of it as Nintendogs meets Animal Crossing. And so that that's a hub of this. But meanwhile, you can also see your pet in AR. You can also bring them into VR. You can bring them onto your video calls with all the accessories that they've collected. And then you can bring them as a streamer on Twitch or YouTube and let your audience interact. 
What's coming is a bunch of things. It's the ability for your pet to go on much, much bigger adventures than you can now, not just around your neighborhood, but imagine them going off around the world and collecting things for you. That's coming early next year. Uh, we are going to be adding trading systems, more robust trading systems for people with their accessories. We have two big brands that we're signing deals with. So we're going to be introducing different types of pets within the Petiverse above and beyond the cats. And yeah, beyond that, just more robust features for what you can do within that experience. Yeah. And uh, you've, uh, you've raised some funding to do this. Can you tell us more about the status that you, you're there in terms of being capitalized and, and uh, working on? <laughs> the question on everyone's minds right now, yeah? Yes, we closed our seed round at the start of last year, led by Fabric Ventures. And Anna Mocha is another of our bigger investors and One Up Ventures, which was started by Ed Fries, the creator of Xbox. So we have we have some great investors on board with us who are super supportive and understood our vision from the beginning. This notion of a, of a sort of open source interoperable digital pet. So I think what got everyone excited about us, and they continue to be really supportive. Yeah, I mean it's it's a really it's a it's a huge vision, and uh, you know, to that point, you're talking about AR. A little audacious. <laughs> yeah, a little audacious. Yeah, and I, you even have that in your in your in your white paper, which I love, by the way. You've got AR, you've got blockchain technology, Web three stuff. You want APIs for other developers. You want to open source a lot of these things. There's hardware components here. That's a lot to take on. What what is it going to take for this audacious vision to become a reality? Do you want to fast forward five years, ten years, whatever amount of time you want to fast forward? What has ha- what has to happen? for this to really become a thing. This really becomes a way for humans to interact with digital companions in a way that is very different, much more compelling than what it has been in the past. Uh, I don't actually think it's that far off. Keep in mind, we're taking a very mass market approach to this. So we're not asking anyone to buy an NFT. And so I think from a digital pet standpoint, there've been lots and lots and lots of use cases to point to, not just the ones that we've mentioned, but so many other digital pet games, like like Pooh, for example, you might remember from the early days of mobile games. These things have done millions and millions and millions of, of, of installs. And so there is definitely a path here to us getting this in the hands of the mass market and getting them playing with a digital pet that they can take with them between experiences. The brand deals that we're doing are because we want this to become a household name. And that's, that's very difficult to do in the state of mobile gaming, especially right now. And so the brand integrations that we're going to be doing over the course of, of just even just the next year, I think are going to be massive to us being able to get, get to people to the mass market understanding that there's a, there's a petiverse digital pet. Beyond that, I think that to get to the real meat of this, the idea of a digital pet within your life, it's the AR glasses, I think are going to be really important to that, that feeling like a substitute. For a physical pet. And so I don't think that that's five to 10 years off. I, I don't think it's it's the, the hardware that's available now or in the near term, but I think it's probably in the next three to five years that we're going to start to see at least a hardcore using AR glasses, not, not everyone, but the same way we started with smartwatches and phones and everything else. We're going to start with the, the, the taste, the trendsetters and tastemakers, and then we'll, we'll go out from there. But yeah, I think brands are going to be really important, brand adoption of this. And look, this for a brand, the reason why brands are excited about what we're doing is this is a, the metaverses for the most part don't exist yet, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're building them and it's going to take time until there's stuff to do there and there's a user base and everything else. We're not asking anyone to do anything like that. We're saying, look, we've built this tech suite and you can immediately do all this stuff with, with your thing. That's really a, a, appealing to a brand. Why wouldn't Garfield, for example, instead of instead of a generic cat, want to be a part of that? So I think we've got a really exciting, compelling use case that we've built that doesn't doesn't feel like 
Web3, you know, that that mm-hmm. leaves that as something that can be adopted when the market's ready for it. Yeah. And how much of this is you, Petaverse, Tiny Robo Games, you, the consumer product, versus mm-hmm. the back end for a, a world of developers and brands integrating with your technology, but they know nothing about Tiny Rebel Games. They know nothing about your products. Is it, what's the balance there? How do you, obviously you got to do the, I mean, it's the classic, right? You got to do the, the yeah. uh, proof of concept first yourself, right? Which you're, you've yeah. done or you're doing, and then you integrate what you've done with brands and what have you. But how much of it, this is you pushing consumer product yourselves versus being a backend or essentially a, a, an ecosystem of tools uh, for other developers and, and brands? That's a great question. Look, the, the API is something that we're going to be working to refine early next year so that we can start to get the first products that are another place you can take care of your pet. My pet's hungry. Wouldn't it be great if I could go into Minecraft to feed my pet or Roblox or Sandbox or wherever to feed, feed your pet? So that's something that's going to be really important to us. And that's where we talk about open sources. Yeah, I would, we often talk about having a DAO in the future about the Petiverse Society because there, there are so many different types of pets that you could have out there. Imagine someone was just obsessed with ferrets and wanted to make Petiverse ferrets <laughs> that work the same way our cats do. They should be able to do that. That's still a, a big vision of ours is the idea that that should be able to happen. And so that's where I think it would be really important. I don't ever want to be a SaaS company. We're a game company. We've been making games for 25 years. And so I think content and consumer products will always be really important to us. But that doesn't mean we can't hand off the keys to somebody else to be able to do things as well, especially because I don't ever want to be an agency or work for higher companies. So it's right. important to us that we can get to that step, that we can hand it off and say, you go see what you want to build. You know what? You don't like any of the content that we created? Go build something new. If you really wanted a Pokemon Battler? Go make it. Here's the tech. Here's the full tech stack. Go. And so I think that that's really exciting. And there's only so much. We're a 25-person team. There's only so much that we can do at any given time. We obviously have to pick and choose. And so I think it's really important, I think, to, to get to a, a broader product offering. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Business model. Always curious to hear how how you plan to to monetize. Right now, I believe it's all free, and you're just it's more of a proof of concept thing. What what are your kind of expected revenue models on this? In our purchases and subscriptions, especially where it comes to the brand deals that we're doing, we we've told folks who bought an NFT. You know, we did sell some Ethereum NFTs. They'll never pay for anything, and I, I stand by that. They they bought a lifetime subscription to what we're doing. But we will be introducing mass market subscriptions and IAP opportunities, and ultimately, like I said, the ability to to upgrade and 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 pay to mint it uh, on a blockchain. I think will be important as well. So traditional game monetization, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I have to say, audacious vision. That's why I, I literally reached out to you and said, hey, I, I want to have you on the show because this is so interesting, so intriguing. It. Yeah, and so fascinating. And so I'm really grateful uh, for you for coming on the show. I think this is actually a great place to end because it's just a really uh, interesting, fascinating, thought-provoking proposition that you would have a, a pet that, that lives for generations uh, in the same family and evolves over time in a way that it remembers those experiences and passes those on to father, no, from father to son to grandson. So imagine really, if the really dogs had been NFTs, Nico. Imagine, imagine if the yeah. dogs had been NFTs, if that had existed back then. You'd have 26 million people with them. And if you had yeah. access to their tech stack, why wouldn't you build new games for Nintendogs? So yeah. 100%. I, I, I 100%. Yeah, I, I do think there's a really interest, interesting uh, things happening here. But obviously, a lot, lot has to go. You know, blockchain tech is still relatively new. There's 200 ecosystems out there. Interoperability for real is an issue. It's not, you know, like, yes, there are solutions, but it's still an issue. AR has to get mass market adoption, it sounds like, for the full vision that you have to, to be realized. So, you know, a lot of things have to have to align. But I hope they do. 
because I think this is a really compelling vision and I'm excited uh, for what you guys are building. So Susan, thank you so much for coming on the pod today. I have really, really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you, Nico. It was a pleasure. And a big thank you to all of our listeners. We'll be back next week with more interviews, more insights, and more analysis from the weird and wonderful world of Web3 and the metaverse. And now the petaverse. We keep adding to this. Until next time, friends, stay crypto curious and feel free to send questions, guest recommendations, and comments to me. My email is nico at navic.co. If you enjoyed today's episode, whether on YouTube or your favorite podcast app, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, or give a five-star review. And if you want to reach out or provide feedback, shoot us a note at podcast at novic.co or find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Plus, if you want to learn more about what Novic has to offer, make sure to check out our website, www.novic.co. There, you can sign up for the number one games industry newsletter, Novic Digest, or contact us to learn about our wide-ranging consulting and advisory services. Again, that is www.novic.co. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.